Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we do approach Thy throne trusting in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it is only by Your grace that we love You and desire to serve You. We thank You for the blessing of being able to assemble in this capacity today. Again, we would pray for those who mourning the loss of loved ones in death, for those who are undergoing surgery in a few moments, for those who are in need of repentance. And we would pray that You would bless us in the furtherance of our worship here this day. We can go through our normal routines. We can take up an allotted amount of time. And we can go through it all by rote and be none the better. In fact, we might even be worse. We're often reminded of what you told the congregation at Corinth when Paul wrote to them and said that their coming together was not for the better, but for the worse. We don't want to do that. We know that in us, that is in our flesh, dwells no good thing. But we trust that there is also another spirit in us that cries out for righteousness and holiness. Not only that righteousness and holiness that is found in you and that righteousness and holiness that is found in the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we desire a personal righteousness, not one in which we can trust, but one that has been produced by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We long for the day when not only 
when we have departed and are with Christ in our souls. But in the day of the resurrection, when our bodies will be changed, it will no longer be corruptible, nor sinful, nor dishonorable, nor mortal. We've never experienced that, so we don't even know how to begin to imagine what it will be like. Other than we can say with the psalmist, when I wake in thy likeness, I shall be satisfied. Or as John put it, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall see him as he is. We do not know how it will be when all of the elect, all of the saints are with you in glory. We hear much talk about that we will be blessed to lay our head upon the bosom of the Lord Jesus. We can't picture that because how will all the other multiplied thousands upon thousands lay their head upon the Lord Jesus at the same time? But whatever it shall be, we will be totally content in every way. We ask that you would be with godly men as they stand to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ today. Ask that you would bless us in our own service again. And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Coming back to 1 John, in chapter 3, we're going to take up in verse 19 this morning, and we're going to look at, uh, probably, uh, we'll, we may get through, we may not, I'm not sure yet, verses 19 through 22. And this little small section, I have subtitled it Confidence Before God. Notice what the Word says. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. 
And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Strong words, are they not? Words that cause us to sometimes think maybe more often we think this than otherwise. Is this really possible? That we have confidence before God? How is it that I, as a sinner, who deserve to be cast into hell, who see my sins daily, can have confidence toward God. You say, well, the only way we can really have confidence is in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true. If we're not in Christ, obviously God is not going to hear our cries and our petitions. Because the Scriptures tell us that the prayer of the abominate of the, the prayer of the ungodly is an abomination to God. The prayer of the wicked uh, he doesn't hear. And yet, we believe that God hears our cries. So while obviously the legal work of Christ on our behalf does play a role in our confidence with God, I am persuaded that John is writing more in particular with our sanctification. I'll just say it that way. In other words, here we see that if we want to bring this into the context, let me go back to verse 14 and read down to verse 19. And I think you may be able to see somewhat at what we're driving. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we, or know we, 
the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby, notice the connection. By this, in other words. In other words, by our exhibiting love in our lives toward the brethren, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure or persuade our hearts before Him. In other words, biblical love, that is, love in action, gives assurance or gives knowledge of living in the truth of God. It gives assurance. It gives knowledge. gives understanding that we are literally living in God's salvation. The word know here in verse... 19 and 20 is again that word gnosko, which we have emphasized time and time and time and time again. Sometimes the word ido is the word for no. And we have tried to show the distinction in those two, though they are so closely aligned that sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But he says here that and shall assure our hearts before Him. Now some of you may have a marginal reference on that word assure. Mine does. Uh, the word persuade. And this word, as we're going to see, uh, is sometimes translated that. Uh, it's a verb that mainly means to be convinced by argument. To be convinced by argument. You know, it's... Uh, Sometimes someone will have an idea or an opinion about something and you're not so quite sure about it. And so you sit down and discuss it with them and in their uh, presenting the subject in a disciplined way, with clarity and understanding, then you have been persuaded by their arguments. 
It's not talking about uh, two people that are mad at each other and they're not listening to what the other one has to say and therefore they argue all day long and never get anywhere. <laughs> We're not talking about that kind of arguments. We're talking about uh, just clarity of giving precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, and thereby uh, coming to the conclusion of the whole matter. We'll look at a few places where it's used, though it's used over 60 times in over 55 verses, or in 55 verses. But just, we've got four or five or six. First of all, in Matthew 27. What are we talking about? Assurance. We're talking about something that we have before God. Matthew 27, verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The word persuade is the word there. In other words, here we're not quite so certain that the that the arguments that were presented were of a rational nature. This was more like a mob crowd. But they worked up the people enough that the people were willing to cry out to the authorities to let this thief and murderer go free and kill this innocent one, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, uh, uh, injustice is not anything new. Not anything new. But you see the, the intent of the Word this is actually the first time that God used this word in the New Testament. This is the first time this Greek word is used. A lot of times when you're looking at how God uses a word, uh, the first time that it's used really gives, uh, kind of sets the stage. Luke chapter 18 is our next place we want to look at. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted 
in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. What word do you think is there? Trusted. Trusted. They were confident in themselves. They trusted in themselves. They had persuaded themselves that they were righteous. And they had a right to despise others. <coughs> if you've ever run across a self-righteous individual, you realize and know that that's an individual that you could hardly persuade anything else. You just can't talk to such a one as that. They already know it all. They've got everything down. Uh, Solomon's dog has bit them, and therefore wisdom stops with them, and the sun rises and sets in their cranium. This is the group that was before our Lord. They trusted. They were persuaded. They were assured in themselves that they were righteous. They were right. And they had a right to despise everybody else. Why? Because everybody else was wrong. Kind of sounds like our modern day society, does it not? They're righteous. Everybody else is wrong. And they expect everybody to let them have their say. But you can't have your say because they despise you. But they are certain. They are persuaded. They are confident that they are righteous. Look at Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Let's start at verse 24 to kind of get some of the context. And as he thus spake for himself, that is, as Paul was speaking, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I freely speak. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believeth thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. 
Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that thou, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and all together such as I am, except these bonds. Now the two places used there is in verse 26 and in verse 28, and it's the word persuade again. In other words, Paul said, now what, what, what is it that Paul had been talking about? Paul had been talking about Jesus. And if we had time, we'd go back and start at verse 1 of chapter 26 and read down to that. And if you want to do that, I would encourage you to do that this afternoon if you don't already have the context in your mind. But Paul said, Agrippa, or the king knows that what I'm talking about is true because uh, these things were not done in a corner. In other words, this is not something that was done uh, in the dark alley somewhere uh, in, in the city and nobody knew about it. This was done on Wall Street and broadcast on evening news in all news medias. Everybody knew about knows about this. And he said, I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Paul said, I don't have any question in my mind but King Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. I'm persuaded of that. And then Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would that you were not only almost, but altogether. All right, Romans... I hope by now you're beginning to see the force of this word of persuade or confidence or assurance. Romans 8 in that classic passage and we'll Let's read, start at verse 33. These verses are too good to just jump in the middle of it and read one and, and run on. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 
Beloved, let me pause for just a moment and remind you that Christ not only intercedes for you on the many times that you ask God in prayer, but imagine how many times He intercedes for you and you don't even know about it and you haven't even asked. You know, sometimes we pray for folks. They don't know we're praying for them. We intercede for them. We pray for them. Think about how many times our Lord intercedes for us and we don't even ask. How many times He intercedes for us when our hearts are so hard against Him. We don't have a desire to read His Word. We don't have a desire to pray. All we know we want to pray, we want to read, and yet our hearts are so dull. We'd rather pick up the newspaper or watch some program on the uh, the TV screen or uh, go see some movie or uh, go talk to somebody on the phone or go call and talk to somebody over the phone or you know we can do we can find a thousand and one things to get in the way of the Lord and yet he continues to intercede for us anyway lest I get sidetracked too much verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress you know what it is to be distressed but the love of Christ is still as full as ever. Or persecution. Or famine. Or nakedness. Or peril. Or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Here it is. For I am persuaded. Paul said, I have the utmost assurance that neither death... What is death? We say, well, it's a separation of the life from the body. Yes. Have you ever tried to imagine what it's like to die? Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, whatever, whatever may come, 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature or creation, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, not even your own heart can separate you from the love of God. Paul said, I'm persuaded to that. Nothing. Nothing. I'm thoroughly convinced. Just as those who were persuaded that they were righteous and despised others, Paul said, I'm persuaded that I'm secure in Christ. What are we leading up to, brethren, sisters? Where are we going with this? Your persuasion, your confidence, your assurance before God. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6. Being confident. There's the word. Being confident of this very thing that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Has God started a work in you, beloved? Paul said, I'm confident that He's not going to stop. That ought to encourage you. You you pick up the mirror. You get a good look at yourself. You know you you, uh, you got an image in your mind of what you look like, and you get a mirror down and you start looking and. You say, well, I didn't know that wrinkle was there or I didn't know that bump was there or that expression or that. I missed that. I'm seeing things I haven't seen before. Paul said he's confident the God who has started a work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're not going to fall short. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. And I'm thankful that it didn't read being confident that I began a good work in me and I will perform it. No, I'm confident that whatever God started, He's going to finish. He better, because if He doesn't, I won't make it. I'm confident of Him. And then in the second chapter of Philippians, 
verse 24, Paul said, I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Paul said, I'm in jail, but I'm, I've got confidence. I'm trusting. The word's trust there. I have assurance that I'm going to get out of jail and I'm going to come back there and see you saints at Philippi. And lastly, not that it's the last time that it's used in the Scriptures, the last, time, the last one I'm going to use for today, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am, there it is, persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Paul said, I'm persuaded that Christ is going to keep me not only against the day of judgment, not only against the day of my departure, or whichever uh, may be under consideration, but I, He's going to keep me forever. Now, beloved, seeing the strength of this word, come back to First John three nineteen. Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure, persuade. That's the word. Our hearts before Him. We have assurance before God. Why do we have that assurance before God? Because of the love that we have exhibited in our lives. Because we have as we could, gone to the aid of our fellow believer. Before Him, in front of Him, now you cannot And you better not create a picture in your mind of God. He's a spirit. But at the same time, 
you can have a conscious awareness that you are in His presence. Uh, Y'all who have heard me these many years have heard me use that expression more than once about having a conscious awareness of the presence of God. A conscious awareness. I cannot explain that. And unless you have experienced it, you don't know what I'm talking about. But to those of you who have had at various times a conscious awareness of the presence of God, you understand. You understand. Sometimes we have that more than at others. And as you well know, there's nothing like the Lord coming to you and your cup just overflowing. There's nothing like reading the Scriptures and you're calling one word after the other and maybe trying to stay awake while you're reading it. And maybe your mind drifts off and you read one verse a dozen times or more trying to keep the continuity of it. But you're reading the Word and and all of a sudden, a verse just seems to jump off the page and do a swan dive into the soul and cause your cup to overflow. I guess that may be the closest thing I can think about or try to describe a conscious awareness of the presence of God. Much more could be said about that, but here it's talking about in the face of God. In front of Him. Again, we're going to look at this Greek word. It's uh, according to one of my uh, Bible programs. It's used 49 times in 45 verses. But we'll look at uh, about three or four different places. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Verse 8, 
Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. There the word before is used twice. It's talking about us having confidence before God in 1 John 3. Here Jesus said, If you confess Me before men, that is, in the front of men, then I'll confess you in the presence, in the front of, before angels. In other words, this is a conscious awareness. Those who confessed Jesus before men, they were consciously aware of the fact that they were in the presence of other people, right? And equally, Jesus is in the presence of angels, is He not? And Jesus said, I'll confess you before these angels. Literally, in the presence of them. And you are to have confidence in the presence of God, just as literal, just as real, just as vital. Though we would say that God is intangible, that is, He cannot be seen. He's a spirit. And I don't know whether spiritual beings can have tangibility with spiritual beings or not. (laughs) But God's real. He's not a figment of the imagination. God is real. I've been I've been accused of having a imaginary mystical God. No, I have a real God. And I at various times go before Him in prayer. You do too. But I not only go before Him in prayer, I am in His presence 24-7. I'm not always consciously aware of it. But but I am consciously aware of the presence of God many, many, many times even when my heart is not right with Him, I know God is there. 
and I know that he knows. And I know that he cares when I don't even think he cares. You say, well, that's a contradiction. It is to one who does not know God. But to you who know the battle of a child of God, you know what we're talking about. Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before. There it is again, the judgment seat of Christ. Just as we confess before men, just as Christ confesses us before angels, we shall be before the judgment seat of Christ, just as tangible. Just as tangible. Some people say, well, the judgment seat of Christ is just in our spirits. No, it's more than that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of, of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence, there it is, of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? When Christ returns again, we're going to be in His presence. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 13. To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Before God. Before, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable before God, in the presence of God. Just as real, just as literal. Beloved, Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Why? Because we do not love in tongue and word, but we love in deed. We love in deed.
I'm going to, I've got two quotes by John Gill or a quote by Gill on this verse. I thought it very good. And I'm going to try to read it as quickly as I can. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. By the saints loving one another in deed and in truth, they know, as the cause is known by the effect, that they are of God, who is the true God, the God of truth, and cannot lie, and is truth itself, that they are the children of God and are born of Him, since they love those that are, and every like one love its like and that they are of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that they belong to Him, are His, since they have His Spirit, as appears by His fruits in them. And this among the rest, love to the brethren, and that they are His disciples, which others, even all men know as well as themselves, by their mutual brotherly love, that they are of the gospel, which is truth, and the word of truth, that they are begotten and born again according to the will and grace of God by it, and are on the side of it, and can do nothing against, but all for it, and that they are true, sincere, and upright persons, true believers in Christ, whose faith works by love, and are real lovers of Him, and His, since they love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. And then the latter part of that, and shall assure our hearts before Him, or persuade our hearts, arrive to a full assurance of faith, hope, and understanding that we are of the truth, do belong to God, are loved by Him with an everlasting love, are chosen by Him unto salvation, and are adopted and regenerated ones, having passed from death to life, of which brotherly love is a sure evidence. 1 John 3.14 Some renders the word shall pacify, or make our hearts tranquil or quiet, this only the blood of Christ can do and does, being sprinkled on the conscience. He only has a quiet mind or, or true peace of conscience that looks to the righteousness of Christ for justification and deals with His blood for the full and free remission of sin, of His sins. It is true indeed that one that loves his brother heartily and sincerely has peace of mind, though not for it. When on the other hand, there is no peace to the wicked man who hates his brother. For there, for excuse me, for where there is envy, malice, hatred, strife, there is no true peace, pleasure, and comfort, but confusion, uneasiness, distraction, and every evil work. Or this passage may refer to that holy confidence before God which true believers in Christ and cordial lovers of the brethren have, both now at the throne of grace, where they can come with boldness, intrepidity, and freedom, to ask for what they want, and confidently give, excuse me, and confidently believe they shall receive what is proper and needful for them, and also hereafter, 
at the throne of judgment and in the day of judgment when they shall have boldness and not be ashamed before the judge at his coming who will particularly take notice of their love in feeding, clothing, and visiting the least of his brethren which he makes as done to himself. I thought Gil well summarized it. Let's pray. Thank you, our God, for the assurance that you have given us And bless us to trust in the finished work of Christ and not in the works that we do by love. For if we're trusting in our, lo- in our works, then we have ignored Christ. And yet because of what we do and we see what we do and know what we do and have the assurance of what we do, then you give us that confidence that we have before you. Mysterious indeed, yet just as true and vital as any living truth of yours. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.